thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 176 of the Best Damn Space Sim podcast ever, and was recorded Friday, July 14th, and made available for download Tuesday, July 18th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Ostron. I'm Jeff. And I'm Tony. So what do we have in store this week, Jeff? In this week's Squawk Box, we find out how scientists got their quantum panties in an entanglement. Next, we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we check out Derelict Ships and Star Citizen, two more Thargoid sites and various stuff and things for Elite Dangerous, and we take our first look at a new space sim to hit our radar, Fringe Wars. Finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Jeff saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. This bit of space and technology news actually hit some mainstream media outlets. So some of you attentive listeners may have seen the headlines saying that a group of Chinese scientists teleported an object 300 miles into space. One of our listeners criticized this a month or so back, claiming we developed a clickbait headline. We have to say this one beats us by, oh, let's say, call it, um, 300 miles. The object that was teleported by scientists was a photon. Yes, the quantum particles that make up visible light. Also, they didn't teleport one of them. They teleported just over 900. However, they achieved those 900 plus successes over 32 days of testing where millions of photon teleportations were conducted. Even helicopter parents in a self-esteemed conscious private school would not call that a passing percentage. Finally, teleportation isn't really accurate either. It's just the term physicists use for creating those twinned particles. However, just because this is nothing like Star Trek Transporter doesn't mean it should be brushed off. This development is actually huge for a different field that we all care about, quantum computing. Quantum computers are theoretical devices where instead of bits that hold values of ones and zeros, information is stored on quantum particles, and their quantum state translates information. What the Chinese were testing was the weird quantum entanglement phenomenon where two quantum particles maintain the exact same state. If something changes in one, the change is recorded in the other, regardless of the distance between the two particles. Teleporting one of these quantum particles into orbit means that the science may one day be able to build an internet or other communication devices based on this effect. This would be revolutionary. Not only is quantum entanglement information flow done at the speed of light, the nature of quantum particles means that merely observing them changes their state. It would theoretically be impossible to access the data on a quantum network without being detected and at light speed. If you want to know more about quantum entanglement experiment and more speculation on what it would mean in the future, check out the link in the article in our show notes. 
That was some heavy science, man. <laughs> well, hey, man, yeah, man, it sure is heavy. We should we should get some it's, shrooms it's, before we talk about this. It's quantum physics, which I once heard somebody describe as if you're studying quantum physics, you basically are blind men in a dark room looking for a black object that isn't there. Yeah. So. Yeah, you just yeah you have to li- you have to listen for it, but it doesn't make any yeah. noise. Yeah, and, that, and he's right. I, I know about quantum computing because computing is my field, but some of this doesn't exactly ring true. Well, there's this experiment did two things. Number one, it shattered the previous record for detection of quantum entanglement effects. So when they observed one of the entangled photons on the ground station, it collapsed the probability curve or whatever it is for the photon in orbit and that distance that separated the two was, I think, like an order of magnitude farther than any previous demonstration of the entanglement phenomenon before. So that, that's, that right there is a huge step. But oh, the, yeah, second, yeah, the, the second part of it is the, the number of, quote, teleportations that occurred. In order for the entanglement phenomenon to uh, work, you have to actually separate the entangled photons. You have to create them. You have to entangle them at, at one location, and then one of the photons has to go someplace else, uh, and that can and that's tricky because the process of the photon going someplace else can screw up the entanglement. It either interacts with the fiber optic cable, or smacks into something into the atmosphere and doesn't actually make it to its destination, or it interacts with some other photon in the universe somewhere somehow and loses its spin or whatever it is they're trying to measure. So by transporting the entangled photon to a low Earth orbit, that's also a pretty huge deal. But what's more important is they have kind of a baseline rate for how often they would expect it to work. So 900 out of 32 million doesn't seem like a lot, but it actually gives them some mathematical certainty of how often it it might work. So people start to have an idea of how many photons you'd have to beam someplace in order to have a theoretically known number of entangled photons at the remote location. What's, I think, fuzzy about this is that the, on the cryptology end, or the cryptography end, this is a completely break, unbreakable chain of communication according to what we know. Because if you alter a state of one photon, that can happen just by observing it. So if you mess with the, one, the photons on the satellite, automatically something's going to happen to the photons on the ground station because you right. the entanglement effect. But that happens at, as far as we know or can observe, instantaneously. Like, it doesn't take any time at all for that data to transfer. And that's why Einstein called it spooky action at a distance, because theoretically that's not possible. By a science that we understand fully, you know, the, 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 the dark object in the black room, you know, there may be something there that we don't know yet, but we don't have any explanation for why that happens now. Why, when you mess with one photon, one entangled photon at one end, why it instantaneously changes the state of the other one. And that's the fun and scary part, because, number one, it's fun, because that's awesome, because that's, like, light speed, like, faster than light communication. But it's kind of bad, because the Chinese beat it to us, beat us to it. So. Well, no, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about that. I, I suspect that all uh, scientists in this field agree that someone had to do it. Now, um, back in when I was in college, back in, well, let's see, the first college we came out, uh, never mind. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> we invented college sometime in uh, ancient Greece. I, I, I proposition the fact that, you know, we always talk about the speed of light, right? Yeah. But nobody has said anything about the speed of dark or the absence of light. Whoa, man. 
You've just blown my mind. Patch the shrooms. <laughs> Patch the shrooms, man. How fast but, is dark, but, man? You know, so, I mean, when you turn out the light, how fast does it get dark? Uh, you know, it's like, um, I, so maybe there is, may, all, all I was meaning to say was, or all I was trying to explain was that, that there may be some other processes that are faster than the speed of light. And we use the speed of light always in these in space because that's a measurement we can quantify. Right. I, there, there are some people there. I mean, again, this is all wacky out there stuff right now. No one's proven anything, but there's a lot to in, in quantum physics. There's the sort of vacuum energy and that kind of thing that doesn't isn't really thoroughly explained by your classic Newtonian type stuff. Uh, and the the observation of the maximum speed of light may have some flexibility when you go all the way back to the Big Bang. Right. Um, with that, there's the inflation effect or something that they've that people have worked out. But as far as we know, as far as we can observe, let's put it that way, as far as we can observe, no phenomenon has broken the, quote, light barrier. Spooky action at a distance, this entanglement appears to, but we haven't, we haven't, I, I, as far as I know, I, I don't know, maybe it's, 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 it's been proven otherwise. As far as I know, I don't think we've actually separated two photons quite far enough to go below the measurement threshold. I don't know that. Maybe somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know if we've... Well, I, t I did some... I was doing some research earlier because I didn't... I was very conscious of putting that in the description. Right. And I wanted to make sure I wasn't misrepresenting the data. And basically, at this point, a lot of people who get excited about it immediately go to talking about you know, faster than light communication and things like that. But all of the actual science behind it, everyone's going, we know it looks like that, but we really, really, really don't think that's what's happening. And like you said, nobody's been able to prove one way or the other. Right. Because the other problem is that the trick is we can't get the distances far enough for it to matter. Because right. if we check the data to see if it's traveling when we check it we're receiving that information at light speed right so and, and, yeah the trouble is keeping that entangled photon let's call it alive you know because once the photon gets there keeping trapping a photon is like not a thing i don't think I th i'm pretty i'm 99.9 percent .9 sure we haven't figured out how to catch a photon yet I, again, someone out there may know more than me and can correct me, but what they're trying to do is is detect a state of a photon at the same time they're detecting the state of its entangled pair on Earth, and all that has to happen very quickly because darn things are hard to can't to, hard to handle. They're just they just want to fly at light speed towards the end of the universe in a straight line, refracting only when you know media get in its way. So I think that we don't have the distance, like Oscar was saying, yet, and we don't have. I don't think the ability to track individual photons just yet. It's that's the that's why they had to send 32 million of them or whatever is because they're sending one after another after another after another after another and trying to catch them in a detector at just the right instant. So it looks good as far as the theory goes, but we haven't the the error bars are still overlapping, and we don't know if that's really 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 the also, only explanation. If we, if we do manage to catch and observe them, these things really enjoy just becoming disentangled at the drop of a hat. Read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum. 
Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Around the Verse's main focus this week was derelict ships, but before we get there, there was one interesting tidbit in the studio update. The engineering team has done some work on cargo, including a bit about cargo debris generation for exploding ships. So it's possible some enemies will have so-called loot drops, even if you destroy rather than capture them. As far as the derelict ships go, it's a process that's obviously been in the works since Gamescom last year, when the major demo featured a brief exploration of one. In constructing them, the team made use of the existing damage states for the ships, then added on extra weathering, wear and tear, and discoloration. The wrecks themselves are designed to have a lot of character to them and not be the same structure each time. For example, the Caterpillar can be equipped with anywhere from 2 to 15 forward bays, and the same variety is reflected in those wrecks. Beyond that, there will be differences even in ships that don't have as much customization. The wreck could just be a blown-out shell, or it could have some rudimentary additions like scrap metal walls and makeshift windmills, because someone's been living in it. However, they did say that about 80% of the wrecks will be of the empty shell variety, and may only be interesting as visual distractions, albeit carefully thought out artisanal one. Care was also taken in placing the wrecks. The developers say they did film-style location scouting with their tools in order to find locations they felt would complement the placement of a wreck and make for more interesting gameplay and visual impact. It also helped in hiding some of the wrecks. A ship down in the middle of the desert like we saw at Gamescon is sort of obvious, but a ship down in the chasm or nestled between hills may be harder to find. The end of ATV brought the big teaser. In a part of the interview that wasn't aired during the main show, Nathan Deersley talks about a one-of-a-kind wreck in the verse that can literally be seen from space, and it takes up three to four pixels. He then spent half a minute reiterating that this thing was big, sort of like the way the Hitchhiker's Guide describes space. Speculation is already running rampant, and the popular theory is that they're referring to a crashed Bengal carrier, as it's assumed that's the only ship big enough to fit the parameters Deersley laid out. However, others have pointed out that the Van Duel Kingship is even bigger, and could easily fill the same role. We'll have to wait and see. Nah, it's a Bengal. They already said they're going off of damaged, uh, you know, damaged estates that they've already got built, and that they're relying on, you know, beefing up the details and textures of uh, already built things, so it's a bingle. Well, yeah, but they, I mean, they have been building the kingship for Squadron 42, um, and I think there's another Van Duel ship that's about the same size as the bangle, because I remember the kingship is Including bigger. the interiors? Mm-hmm. Well, they, mm-hmm. do in, they do extra work for all the other ships. Why not? Because the kingship isn't ever supposed to be playable. It's, you know, it's, a, it's the bad guy. It's the naughty well, ship. Well, no, but there's supposed to be... Yeah, but there's supposed to be boarding actions. Well, I suppose. So, I, I mean, you think that... I find it unlikely. With the amount of work that they've already bitten off, with the with the amount of uh, things they have to chew, I find it unlikely that they're going to model the interior of the Van Duel capital ships, at least at this stage. Well, the only other reason I'm skeptical that it's a Bengal is because the if you remember way back when, and of course, this is older information, so it could be completely retconned and removed from the verse at this point. One of the planets in the Null system, they made a big deal about how there's a crashed Bengal carrier on the planet 
that everybody knows about, everybody knew about when it went down, and now it's this central hub for illegal activity that's overseen by some Tivaran pseudo-dictator. And so if, I mean, if that one is so highly publicized, and I mean, again, there's no reason in the real world that they can't do it this way. It seems like completely ignoring their own lore if they take another Bengal carrier and hide it and claim that nobody has been able to find it when they've already presented this other one that went down was a big publicity thing and is now widely known as a hub for illegal activity. So you're telling me that they're already going to need a downed Bengal carrier someplace else in the eventual completed system somewhere else? Yeah. And that's an asset that they've already promised us? Are we talking Squadron 42 or are we talking PU? PU. PU. Yeah. Well... It would seem to me there would be many down wrecks all over space. I mean, how many wars have the UEE been through? The thing is, though, that it seems like the Bengal carriers are like aircraft carriers in the modern Navy. It's like one of those does not go down without everybody knowing where it went down, when, and why. From a lore perspective, it seems completely nonsensical for there well, to be a downed Bengal carrier that nobody knows about and nobody We're still found. in pre-alpha. I mean, this this system probably isn't in its final configuration anyway. They can wipe the server and go, oops, you remember that Bengal carrier you found on that moon in Stanton? Yeah, we picked it up and moved it over to this other system where in our lore that already exists. So thanks for playtesting it. Thanks for letting us know where all the collisions are off. And thanks for telling us where the lighting is bad. Now we've picked this thing up and moved it over to where it's supposed to be in the lore. Congratulations! Now it's in the, in the right place in the persistent universe. That's it, it. Seems to me like that 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 would be an excellent reason for them to put the Bengal here now because they already know they need one later. Kingship, not so much. They, I mean, not not that they couldn't do a kingship later on, especially if they wanted to have a boarding action. But the size and scale of this thing seems to me like boarding an action on a Vanduul kingship. That's like eight levels of multiplayer play. That's like that's insanely complicated. This the volume that they'd have to model and uh, and texture and have LODs for and all that. So if they already need a Bengal for Squadron 42 at some point to be an environment and they already need a downed Bengal in the other system, it makes sense to me that they're going to use that stuff that they've already got hopefully somehow in the pipeline. Plop it down, paint it different colors, crack it in some places. Boom. Bob's your uncle. I've been wrong before. I suppose. Our Star Citizen community question tonight, are you looking forward to wreck hunting in 3.0? Do you think the huge ship is a Bengal or something else? Share your plans and speculations with us. Details coming up after the feedback. Well, our title to last week's show wasn't exactly accurate. Uh, To paraphrase the old saying, reports of the end of the Thargoid wreckage discovery were premature by, so far, two wrecks. Commanders in Elite Dangerous are, if nothing else, thorough. After using the in-game Thargoid link devices combined with 3D trig and player-built star charts, enterprising explorers teamed up with the guys from Astrometric Accounting to double-check the math. Turns out, some estimation errors caused the locations of two of the sites to cross-reference incorrectly. The result? Two new wreckage sites. One active, one not. The active site leads to the usual three systems. Two of them are existing sites, and one is a new inactive site. So, for now, the search is at another dead end. 
except for the permit-locked HIP-22460. However, the newly discovered system is in the southern hemisphere of the Merope-centered Thargoid bubble. This area is a little thin when it comes to wreckage sites, leaving the possibility that further cross-checking might lead to more discoveries in that area. We'll have a link up in our show notes for the interactive map of the wreckage systems put out by the Canon Group, so you can see for yourself. In the meantime, we think we've learned a valuable lesson. Don't trust Base 8 math. In other, more guard frequency was right er elite dangerous news, patch 2.3.11 was released last week, and the Thargoid invasion didn't come, as far as we know. The official patch notes included stability fixes for fighters and the camera system, as well as quashing an entertaining bug that caused station air traffic control to greet you as you departed a station, and then say goodbye right after. They also polished up some broken-ish missions, including removing worthless engineering materials as rewards. I'm looking at you, Crystal Shards. And other more, we could have brought this up earlier, news. This week's newsletter contained a few shots of the new equipment that will be released with the 2.4 update. It's only concept art, and there are no clues as to what the items do, so it's basically the very definition of teaser. Those of you in jolly old England who attended LaveCon a few weeks back will recognize the artwork and yawn and then point and laugh at the stupid Yankees who are just now getting the memo. Uh, To that, we say, well, at least we don't put surplus U's in all our words. (laughs) So true. And finally, in this week's full of what we will loosely refer to as news from the elite world, there's brand new cosmetic swag in the Frontier store. Some of you may be familiar with that other 80s sci-fi phenomenon known as Tron. If you want to fly around the Milky Way or drive around an airless moon looking like Jeff Bridges circa 1982, then have we got good news for you. Get your very own neon-striped spacesuit or SRV paint job today for the low, low price of $4 and $3 respectively. That's 150 and 100 tuppence in Her Majesty's legal tender. Before we wrap up the Elite segment, we here at Guard Frequency want to congratulate the Fuel Rats on their 29,000th rescue of commanders stranded in the Deep Black. According to their Twitter account, they boast a 95.95% rescue success rate. Additionally, one of the rats, Commander Termite Altair, personally completed his 1,000th emergency fuel transfer this week. Well done, rats, and here's to many more. Good Jesus, that's like a lot of people who don't know how to carry enough gas. That's that's a lot. Well, although, to be fair, one of the common complaints about Elite is that the tutorials are somewhat lacking in informing new players of exactly how to do that's everything. True. So, so let's just, I mean, just like speculative math here, do we think that every new player has run out of gas and had to call the fuel rats? I mean... Yep, <laughs> pretty much. I, well, I mean, back when I ran out of gas the first time, I had, to, uh, I had to self-destruct because there was no such thing as fuel limpets. You couldn't do anything. 29,000. Yeah. So um, how many, do we know how many people play Elite? Well, I mean, no game company is going to tell you what that is. But, I mean, it's... I, I gotta think. Order of magnitude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if, if, I mean, there's the whole number of players, right? And then there's the number of players who Mm -hmm. have come, who have come to the game and not known about fuel since the time the fuel rats have been around, which has been at least a year, 18 months, something like that. And, uh, and they only came in, and so this would be after the fuel limpet system was, uh, put in place. 
So we're kind of narrowing the entire population down. And let's and then there's the people who have heard of the fuel rats, and this narrows it down even further. So an order of magnitude might not might be might be not generous enough. Maybe it's like an order of magnitude then double. I mean, it's you know that we're narrowing that funnel down pretty pretty far. Yeah. Well, no, I think I think that makes sense. And it's I mean, so yeah, based on how many people they've had to rescue, and given how many new players would both be able to know about the fuel rats but not know about having to refuel yeah i i think it's very possible that almost every new player who didn't have somebody like sitting on them telling them exactly what to do has probably run out of yeah yeah i think it's it's back before we had fuel limpets it was almost a rite of passage it's like oh yeah this is what happens when you don't gas up (laughs) so if elite dangerous finally gets uh, ever gets corporations or guilds or whatever they're going to do implemented in the game are we going to subcontract these guys for for our uh, they'll, rescue they'll subcontract us they're huge there's a bunch <laughs> of them there's a bunch of them plus there's no remote repair in elite not right? yet but that's something that's been promised in in 2.4 we'll have repair limpets uh, as of next patch yeah, so there's giving people fuel seems like it's the only real rescue that's available at present yeah and one thing that i would really like them to see is some sort of usable mechanic for a distress call like if you're being attacked by either a player yeah, or a pirate exactly. it would be very useful to have some kind of way to do a wing beacon like system where someone could light off a distress call and it would it would you could toggle something in your communication menu where those things would pop up automatically whether it was uh, in whether you were at a cross server sort of thing whether you're in open or private or in solo if someone fired off a, a distress call in your system, you could light it. It would light you up, and then you could fly to that and engage. They have discre- the distress calls now as an unidentified signal source that's in the game right now, but it's they're kind of clunky. Um, sometimes they're just field transfers. Sometimes they're attacks. Uh, but it'd be great to, to be able to uh, do the same thing for a, a real player. Also, I this is extremely nitpicky, but... I feel I must point out in the name of accuracy that if you actually go back to the 1982 Tron, the color scheme is gray and neon mm. You have to pull forward to the 2010 Tron Legacy before everyone's outfits are black oh, and neon. Man, man, that's, that's true. You're, you know, you're right. You're right. So you can't look like 1982 Jeff Bridges. You have to look like 2010. A little older, a little fatter, uh, a little slower, a little grayer. Except his clothes, which are now black. Unless you go with the CG overlay version of mm. him, in which case he looks just like he did in 19. This is getting complicated. Much too complicated. Yeah, you're yeah. right. We should probably go with the community question. Yeah. Our Elite Dangerous community question. Have you ever called on the rats to pull your bacon out of the fire? Is there any other form of rescue you'd like to see in Elite's galaxy? Let us know. Our contact details will follow soon. We are always on the lookout for space sims here at Guard Frequency, and our Badgers found a candidate earlier this week. There isn't a lot of info about Oasis Games' new multiplayer game, Fringe Wars, so we welcome any further input you listeners might have, but here's what we've got so far. The game is being marketed as a MOBA, or Multiplayer Online Battle Arena. If you do a quick Google search, the first name you're going to see for a MOBA is Museum of Bad Art. But if you, you you keep on, you press on a little bit till you find an actual video game, you're going to see titles like League of Legends and Defense of the Ancients or Dota. This game broadly fits in the same category, but its actual gameplay seems to be closer to World of Warships or Dreadnought. Most articles reference the latter heavily when presenting this game. Gameplay is done as instance matchups. 
Two teams of five people bring pre-customized ships into a generated arena. How things progress after that is currently unknown. Most space and water navy games of this type primarily focus on eliminating your opponents as the primary objective, although secondary objectives may also feature. World of Warships, for example, features territory control where teams can rack up points in lieu of wiping out their opponents. Dreadnought, on the other hand, features an FPS-style team deathmatch mode where players respawn and the winning side is determined by total kills. Then again, if you go into the fantasy ground-based MOBAs, eliminating opponents often doesn't contribute to the win conditions at all, and the team must achieve victory some other way. How Fringe Wars will handle this is still uncertain. One segment of the trailer showed an animation that could have been a ship responding into a battle, but nothing else confirms or disproves what else is going on. As for the ships themselves, Fringe Wars makes a big deal out of players being able to customize their ships. If the trailer is to be believed, the ships come in five hull sizes, from small scouts that look like heavy fighters up to large corvette-sized ships. The ships have different weapon and equipment slots that can be modified by the players pre-battle. This is something the trailer and main page makes a big deal out of, probably because most similar games have limited customization beyond choosing predetermined variations of a general class of ship. Now, to the elephant in this particular podcast room. How are these ships controlled? Full disclosure, 95% of the gameplay shown in screenshots and the trailer has a third-person, independent camera control of the ships, similar to those games mentioned previously. You're outside your ship and can spin the camera around in any direction you like, giving orders and scouting enemy movements from there. However, there was one 20-second segment where it showed a targeting reticle and what looked like cockpit controls, and there was no centered ship model to be seen. So there might be a mode where you're flying one or more of these ships in cockpit view, though detractors will immediately point out that's a horrible tactical choice if everyone else is using third-person view. Visually, the art style is reminiscent of arcade shooters meets anime. The ships are blocky and boxy, but feature bright primary color highlights on them. Weapons fire display colors that would be right at home in an 80s fashion catalog. And there are far more explosions than you would expect in space unless everyone's hulls are lined with fuel their ships are theoretically using. So yeah, when Oasis decided to make a space sim game, they definitely focused more on the game than the space or sim. Right now their main page features a very brief summary of gameplay and a trailer, but the biggest thing is a sign up for their closed beta. Unlike many games recently, they don't seem to want any money up front for the access, but there's no guarantee that providing your email will definitely get you in either. For those who want to jump in, we'll be providing the link in our show note. This looks fun. No, it doesn't. No. Come on. <laughs> Spaceships, and you get to build your own ship, and you get to customize it, and then you get to shoot stuff. It's reminiscent of Homeworld. I mean, put players in the Homeworld, make it uh, PvP, and you've got this game already, you know, uh, situated. Well, Homeworld, you had to build more stuff. Homeworld, they had a lot of yeah, construction. Yeah, I mean, think, I mean it's like Starcraft shooter. in space. Instead of on the planet, you're now dealing with ship and their resources. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I signed up for the beta. I'm going to give it a shot. Looks like you can at least have a pew-pew mode. If there's joystick support, I'll probably be fairly enthusiastic about the beta. If there's not, I probably won't, because I will be not caught dead using an Xbox controller to fly a spaceship. Although, to be fair, based on the 
razor that we've employed in the past, this probably is not going to qualify as a space sim. Because like I said, 95% of the action in that trailer was cameras spinning independently of the ships and the controls seeming to be independent of being inside of a cockpit. And given the games that everybody was equating this to, like World of Warships and Dreadnought, all of those, you're controlling the ship with keyboard and mouse controls. Um, let, let me let me let me offer one little thread that might change people's perspective. Did they say anything about VR support? No. Well, see, that might be that might be the the deciding factor because if it's being built with VR support, that would sort of make the first person view a little less you know completely stupid to do. It would probably wouldn't be the same advantage of a third-person sort of view, but it would make it more fun for sure, and also whittle away at the disadvantage that the first-person view would have. Also, I could use my head tracker on it, which would make me quite happy. You know, if they have VR support, surely they would have track IR support for it too. If none of those things are there and it's a mouse and keyboard affair, probably it won't pass muster here at the freak probably won't pass muster although they they didn't mention vr support they didn't mention much of right. anything yeah like it's still I was early honestly surprised i was able to write this much copy because like i said we don't even know what the gameplay is yet i mean it was it was just baffling that they to me that they're asking people hey do you want to jump into a closed beta and i was like a closed beta for what the only thing we know is that you have spaceships and they shoot each other which we don't even know I mean, why they're shooting at each other or how long that takes kind of refreshing right i mean here we uh, with all the steam early access type things and pre-alphas and kickstarters and blah 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 i mean what hey what is, how about having a surprise and if they're calling it a closed beta it might mean that they're actually really close to release if you know using the the ancient uh, understandings of beta that we you know once upon a time could count on internally we define here in our show as feature complete uh, and just needing polish you know feature complete content complete needing polish theoretically that should have a closed beta period and then shortly after a full release so yeah well this game appears simple enough that I think it's likely they are in a traditional closed beta state although whether they do the closed beta followed by the open beta followed by release is yet to be seen yeah. but that doesn't really matter one way or the nah, other. it's just a matter of you know polishing and then maybe resetting the leaderboards or whatever we'll keep an eye on it for all you uh, listeners out there and let you know what we think and our community question for fringe wars what do you think fringe wars will have their teams of players doing is this game in fact a space sim if you manage to outdo our research badgers and get more information send it along we'll tell you how after feedback and now it's time for news we didn't use. No More Skies have teased a large update to come this August. You can be certain we won't cover this in more detail. Jeff! Disco Lando posted on the Spectrum that the Cyclone Buggy is going on sale beginning July 21st, starting at $35 and somehow also going up to $70. Eve Valkyrie recently got a surprise patch to enable an ultra graphics mode. If you have the game and the right NVIDIA card, check it out because it's more beautiful than ever.
Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! Some say he's been classified by Congress as a Title II utility, and that his alignment is net true neutral. But all we know is he's called the Shiv and he'll put together this week's feedback. A recap of last week's community questions. For Star Citizen, do you think CIG can pull off realistic yet varied procedural generation for planet surfaces? Or are we going to be pointing out iteration number 50 of the same rock formation before too long? And for Elite Dangerous, what's your theory on the Thargoid strategy? Does Frontier have any more surprises for us in the next few weeks, or are we on hold again until 2.4 drops? Bryce Arena writes in and says, To answer your question about me, I'm a dude. Happy face. Bryce Arena is my SC and Elite RP name, Serena being the family name. As for the SC question, I think it will be difficult to create a world that doesn't show signs of repetition, meaning CIG will do their best to mitigate procedural repetition, but probably won't be able to eliminate it. With that said, the question of why is repetitive scenery bad should be asked. I mean, so long as there's content and stuff to do within, the environment shouldn't matter, especially if that repetitive scenery repeats every couple of kilometers. I suppose I'm just happy we aren't getting interactive loading screens, which was the plan before Procedural Planets. Sean Newboy writes in and says, Love the show, everyone. Many thanks. Can they? Yes, with enough time and money. Will it work quite that well as we hope? Probably not. Jiro writes in and says, Hi, long time no comment. You guys were talking about the texture popping between LODs. There are a couple of things that you need to take into consider... Stop there, but I think you meant consideration. The demo of the show, the camera moving at a very high speed. That will exacerbate the texture popping. Also, the generated LOD textures that they can switch from can use their alpha channel to smoothly blend from one onto another. These features should make it look much better. Will it be noticeable? Probably. Chuck007, with a license to comment, says, Will they succeed with the planets? Yes. For me, the big question will be, Will CIG start selling virtual tracts of land on some of these planets to players? Oh, the possibilities! Ken from Chicago writes in, Yep, I think hashtag Star Citizen has sufficient diversity in planetary rock surfaces. I think hashtag Elite Dangerous, hashtag Thargoids might be in cryopods. While the hashtag Thargoids sleep, they have drones to protect them against Guardian tech, which explained why they check folk with said tech. Okay. Yeah, that was the right. That, that, that was Twitter. That's Twitter in the 140 character limits. He chooses to yes. punt, put in hashtags rather than real letters. But that's okay, Ken from Chicago. We love Ken from we, Chicago. We love, Ken, we love Ken from Chicago. On both shows, we love Ken from Chicago. So, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I like the... Uh, the, the we had got some good technical advice uh, from Drew. So, listen up, CIG. Do some alpha channel blending and speed camera adjustment things. Do that and make it better. Good job. Cryopods? Maybe. Maybe cryopods. I like... Could be the eggs. Some people are saying those little egg things that are on the floor of the uh, alien things you can run over with your SRV and make explode. Some people are saying those are baby Thargoid. Who knows? I thought they were aliens. Thargoids are aliens. Oh, you mean like facehuggers? Yeah. Yes, like facehuggers. Facehugger. Okay. Yeah, well, that would be a license-breaking copyright lawsuit in the making right there. Yeah, exactly. Although, I mean, Star Citizen threw a dune sandworm into the demo, so... <laughs> yeah, I that was kind of cool, well, actually. I mean, 
that could be like a trigger for me. This is like saying no man's sky to Jeff. You, when you want to get on me and bad Whoa, legal decisions hey, made by no C- more sky. Yeah, that's like you know, me and bad legal decisions by the Star Citizen team. That you know, don't trigger me like that, man. Gonna go into flashbacks. In general feedback, Conquer Birdie writes in and says, "Wait, you can run out of Thargoid encounters." Disco Lando writes in and says, "Hey, Guard Freak, thanks for the new patches. They have been distributed as requested." And Oda Noman writes in. Public service announcement, if you like Elite Dangerous, the podcasts I really enjoy are, in no particular order, at Hutton Orbital, at Lave Radio, and at Guard Freak. Enjoy. I think he saved the best for last. He said no particular order, but I'm pretty sure he saved the best for last. I think so, too. And uh, you're welcome, Disco Lando. Uh, uh, Put one up on your patch wall, because your patch wall is what triggered my instructions to our community manager to get you those patches. So uh, make sure it gets up there. Tweet us a picture. Front and center, big and shiny. We have shiny thread on ours. I don't know if anybody else has shiny thread, but we have shiny thread. Just saying. Our new Patreon this week is no new Patreon this week. But we're always looking forward to you being a Patreon. That's right. You get the patch shiny. Very shiny. Yes. Really nice. Good patches. Good patches. Very cool patches. Very nice patch. And this week's community questions. Are you looking forward to the wreck hunting in Star Citizen 3.0? Do you think that the huge ship is a bangle or something else? Have you ever called on the rats to pull your bacon out of the fire? Is there any other form of rescue you'd like to see in Elite's Galaxy? And what do you think Fringe Wars will have their teams of players doing? Is this game, in fact, a space sim? Drop us an email, a tweet, or comment on our show post, which you'll find on our website and over on our Facebook page. So, how was the show? Was it as cool as Quantum Entanglement, or do you wish someone would observe us so the quantum state collapses? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 176 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 177 on July 25th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday night, then you should come over and join us at 10 p.m. Central as we record Guard Frequency Live over on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash guardfreak. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn Space Sim podcast ever? Drop an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. You can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just a buck twenty-five a week, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, which are hilarious, some Guard Frequency goodies, and an invitation to our private Elite Dangerous flight group. We also want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope you consider making a regular contribution. The more support we get, the better show we make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We are active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. You can find us over at discord.guardfrequency.com. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series, the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Our thanks go to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. 
Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. So some of you all didn't. So some of you are tentative in this list. So some of you attentive listeners may have seen the headlines saying that a group of Chinese scientists teleported an object 300 meters into space. Time out. 300 meters into space? Miles. Sorry. Sorry. I just read what's written. Yeah, man. It's like so popping, too. It man. is, man. Jeff is high <laughs> as a... No, he's not. Dan Ostron is space falling. For those of you at home... Who don't who are not who are not watching but listening on the radio? That sound you heard was Ostron's forehead smacking his desk at a relatively high velocity. Relatively high velocity. Alrighty. A- any uh, any discussion about those comments? I think we have milked that for as much as we can get. Comedy, <laughs> not gold. Comedy, silver, maybe not gold. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Oh, silver, man! I can catch my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, for those of you on, at home, uh, that was the sound of Ostron's eyes rolling into the back of his head. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feedsguardfrequency.com or by searching dot. for us on iTunes. Dot. And if you're, huh? Feeds dot. Oh, I'm sorry. The active site leads to th- unusual three systems. Nope. Two of them nope. are... Exi- nope. Nope. The... The... <clears throat> The active site no. <laughs> leads to... A- your voice was fine. It was the words that were wrong. Get your, broadcast, get your broadcast glasses on. Uh, they're on. Look, see? Right there. Oh, there's not a different set of broadcast glasses? One's no, with, no. One's with bigger, bigger, I've thicker gla- lenses? I've been wearing glasses Cook most models. exclusively for a year now, so uh, you know my eyes are getting bad over time. Uh, you know, being a trillion years old or so, right. eventually, eventually your body starts to... <laughs> eventually. <laughs> you can also... Subs- uh, Mm-hmm. <laughs>